Hello there and welcome to Thoughts on the Social World, the social world podcast. I'm Dave Niven and I'm really pleased to be back with you after the summer break. Now I've decided today not to have a guest but just to, if you like, treat the programme in a kind of magazine way, having a little look back on some of the events of the summer and some of the issues that have come up. Um, share them with you, share my thoughts with you about them and look forward to hearing from you some feedback on them because these are some very big issues, some very small issues, some very irritating and some quite pleasing. Now, the, the first thing obviously I, I think I'd like to talk about is the Syrian refugee crisis or at least the worldwide refugee crisis, not just Syrians, but they seem to be top of the agenda at the moment. I just can't get over the difference, certainly in Europe, and I'm sure it's the same in the Americas, in how people treat the situation. The absolute split in opinion, the behaviour of some countries as opposed to the behaviour of others, the open arms policy of some and the closed doors policy of others. This is a humanitarian crisis. This, this is to do with human beings being absolutely compelled to move or die. I've got to say I've been absolutely thrilled as a human being, as a caring person, with how Germany has responded. They've actually not only welcomed refugees, but made a policy statement to say that they will take half a million refugees every year for the foreseeable future. And in total opposition to some of the countries that you see them trying to pass through, and the terrible way that they're treated, the way that they're beaten and, and, and forced to live in squalor and resources denied them, even though these countries themselves have all sorts of issues, they, they, they still are behaving in an inhumane way. But in comparison, when trained loads of Syrian refugees arrived in Germany, to see that the streets were lined with people applauding them just restored my face in, in humanity. I just, I just don't understand it. I mean, I, I have a personal view, and it'd be good to hear your view too, that we obviously would prefer it. Everybody in the world would prefer it. The, the people from that region more than anything, if their country was made safe and they could continue to live where they grew up and where their family was, where their understanding was, where their culture is and so forth. And I don't understand why the United Nations seems to be like a toothless tiger. I don't understand why it can't mobilize to such a degree that, for example, creates and protects with all the might of the world, I say a hundred mile exclusion zone in on the coast in Syria or wherever, and totally defends people there against any incursion until such time as the world can help 
sort out a peaceful solution or can help sort out in some way a cessation of hostilities. Then there would be a contained issue, a protected population and a, a solution of sorts until such time. Why can't we have a protectorate? It's been happened so many times in the past, rather than this huge kind of like, it's almost like wildebeest, you know, kind of flowing around the world and causing a whole load of grief for themselves especially, but a whole load of despair for some countries that they seem to be um, targeting. Because within it, and especially take, take Britain for example, within Britain... There's such a division of opinion about how we should deal with Syrian refugees and where we should take them from. I mean, the Prime Minister's effectively said, look, all right, we'll take some after a great deal of pressure. All right, we'll take some, but we'll only take them from the Syrian camps. Why? Does that not make the ones who are sweating their hearts out on Greek islands and overloading an already um, beleaguered state such as Greece, does it make them any less worthy of support? I just don't get it. Anyway, that is going to be a continuing problem. And from the social work point of view, from a social world point of view, from a humanitarian point of view, you know, social work has a part to play. Social work's all about the resolution of conflict. I'd like to hear their voices much louder. Now, something else that uh, interested me the other day was that I heard that a former bishop of Gloucester has been convicted of sexual abusing two boys back in the 80s. Now, Okay, here we go again. Another priest, another uh, abuser, another paedophile, another very elderly man rolled out on the stage to be um, accused and to be kind of pilloried by the community, and quite rightly so. But the number, the sheer number of church officials, whether they be priests or associated lay officials, who've now been convicted and who are still are being discovered as having been abusers of children is just mind-boggling. I mean, I was looking back there and, and the, last year the Vatican revealed that over the past decade it's defrocked 850 priests who had raped or molested children and it had actually dealt with in some other disciplinary way about two and a half thousand others with kind of smaller penalties and that I am certain is the tip of the iceberg so what is it about the priesthood what is it about the church what is it about working for the church with this veneer of humanity this veneer of care that attracts people in such a way to abuse children in the worst way. It's just such a paradox in terms of philosophy and in terms of practice. I just can't understand and I can't get an idea 
that worldwide the church is getting a grip on this. The churches, I should say, are getting a grip on this because it's not one denominational. Uh, and I just can't see that there isn't there isn't a worldwide um, investigation into this. Each each denomination is dealing with in its own way. Each scandal is prompting lots and lots of public outcry and also platitudes and goodness knows what else and occasionally we are getting action but it the historical abuse that's seeping out from under the floorboards in every country is just horrific and it just makes me wonder about the whole the whole practice of uh, community religion and the whole practice of whom we are charging to uh, to wear the frocks of priesthood. It just beggars belief sometimes. Now, I did an interview the other day with the BBC to do with a Freedom of Information uh, request that they had put in, looking at the uh, number of abuse cases that had emerged from schools. And they did it in England. They did it region by region um, and some regions were absolutely startled by the sheer volume that had emerged from this and so I was asked why this is particularly the case why such a sudden rise last year why in certain places that previously had only moderate kind of um, abuse levels within schools or, or in terms of numbers in terms of reporting numbers Now, new figures show that West Mercia Police had the second highest reported number of sexual assaults in schools in the country. Our Freedom of Information request has found that in our area, uh, the numbers uh, increased more than fivefold from 33 in 2013 to 179 in 2014. That tops uh, larger forces uh, such as Greater Manchester. Uh, in the three years, uh, in three years, 259 assaults were reported to the force in total, with uh, almost 4,000 nationally. Uh, David Niven chairs two child safeguarding boards, and we can talk to uh, to David now. Morning. Morning, Elliot. So let's um, let's start with uh, this statement from West Mercia, which says it, it it indicates increased confidence in victims coming forward, uh, and that's what this is down to. Would you agree? I think that's the most likely explanation, to be honest with you. I mean, I really don't think that West Mercia have got uh, hugely more problems than other places. I just think that at the time that the figures were taken, I suspect, and I was reading the report, that um, possibly some historic uh, cases came forward, and, of course, they would be recorded in this particular year as opposed to the years that they happened. So it's just that at the moment people are having more confidence in coming forward since all the high-profile cases up and down the country... I mean, do, do you think, been... David, I mean, dur during this period as well, I mean, we had our, our St Gilbert's investigation, yes, I mean, and yes. obviously w would those presumably would have gone into this total, would they? They would have done, and I think, therefore, that um, I think there's about at least 30 people involved in that one that would have contributed to the statistics, so you can see straight away that's a significant number. Um, I mean, but at the same time, I mean, I think we've got to look at this in an encouraging way. I, I know that there's about 20% of the actual figures are what they call peer-on-peer. -peer. So that would be kind of um, other pupils being accused of something against a, a fellow pupil. 
So it's not necessarily all just adults against youngsters. I mean, we're hoping to get a, a breakdown as well later on from the force uh, about a historical compared to, to, mm. to current um, rec- recordings. But how has the police response changed to reports of sexual assaults over time, would you say? Well, I think, to be fair, the same as social workers, they've got better, they've got more sophisticated, more sensitive and far more able now to, to take it um, Seriously, there was a time, you know, 20, 30 years ago when forces were exactly the same as others, that it was difficult to absorb and believe and have the actual knowledge to deal with it properly. But now victims coming forward are treated far better and far more sophisticatedly than than they ever were. Can I just say one thing, though, Mm. Tony? I mean, I'm still very worried, and I'm sure West Mercy is the same, that there aren't enough help, uh, there isn't enough help for victims. It's Law enforcement might be getting better, people might be reporting more, but for the aftermath, for the counselling, for the therapeutic support, there really isn't enough up and down the country, and I can't believe that uh, Hereford and Worcester would be any different. There aren't enough therapeutic support for these victims coming forward who've taken the courage now to actually tell their story. And, what, and why, is the, the, why is that happening? Is, is it due, due, due to cuts? Is there just not enough funding for it? Partly cuts, yes. Partly the austerity cuts, sure. Everybody's suffering. Jobs are being deleted and so forth. But at the same time, sheer weight of numbers. You know, a sudden influx into the system of anything will kind of um, really tax the um, ability of a system to deal with it. And you think about it, some of these people who have been um, badly abused or suffering for such a long time, they need years of real therapeutic help. And that really ties up the system if you want to give them a proper service. Okay, David, thanks for talking to us there. Uh, David Niven, who chairs uh, two child safeguarding boards. Um... Yeah, thank you very much uh, to David for that. We've got a statement here from West Mercia Police, and uh, it says the increase in reports of sexual offences in schools can be attributed to a number of factors, including an increase of victims coming forward, an increase in reports of non-recent sexual offences, and an increased use of social media and technology by both victims and offenders. As a force, we've seen a significant increase in non-recent reports of sexual abuse, which date back years and even decades. Uh, and relate to institutions and establishments which no longer exist. The increase is in line with national trends, and we feel this is a positive, indicating an increased confidence in victims coming forward to West Mercia Police. And it is quite interesting, because I, I don't think that there's been a sudden upsurge. I think it's got to be several things. And this, I think, is very important in terms of the way that we are dealing with this whole matter within society. Firstly... I think that there's a, there is a better atmosphere for people to come forward, for victims of abuse historically to come forward. There is a more sophisticated understanding and there is a more sensitive understanding from law enforcement and from social services about how to deal with victims and how to support them. And people are seeing this. People, I mean, a lot of these scandals that have been happening recently with um, prominent people and lots of people um, accusing them of abuse, the public has seen that the authorities now can at least deal with things sensitively. My problem with it, though, is that although we might be catching offenders more often and although we might be encouraging 
victims of abuse to come forward and um, to say what happened to them more often. What we haven't got is enough therapeutic support for afterwards, for after they finally disclose and after they need to actually see it through, see the help through in some cases, which could take years. We haven't got the therapeutic support within the community. We have got lots of good people, whether it's in the statutory or the voluntary sector, who are actually providing support, but there just isn't the resource. And the problem really is, again, as the same as many other things in society, with these austerity measures that are being implemented by the government at the moment, cuts to services are savage and therefore cuts to therapeutic provision for victims are savage too. And so we're going to have a situation where we've got a lot of, a lot of distressed, disturbed, hurt people, dislocated, with a whole load of unfinished therapeutic business in the community. And the knock-on impact to family and social life and community life that that's going to have is huge. And I think, therefore, we've got to treat the um, support for victims on an equal footing as the drive to get people to disclose and the support that's offered, multidisciplinary support that's offered to these victims. And the other thing that was interesting about that survey that, uh, well, the, the Freedom of Information Act and the figures that came forward when the BBC asked for them was that 20% of uh, cases, abuse cases that uh, were noted in school settings were peer-on-peer abuse. So one in five was about one pupil against another. Now, I'm not sure, it didn't break it down much further than that, but I'm pretty sure that some of that was probably as a result of um, cyber grooming, as well as extensions of what you would probably call traditional bullying practice and traditional dominance by some pupils over others and also possibly prompted by the much greater availability of um, um, sexual behaviour, pornography, accessibility of um, sexual uh, imagery online, on smartphones, wherever, on the internet, which still is way out of line and some would say totally out of control in terms of the way that it can influence young people at a much earlier age than they can cope with it. So that was happening. I also then, moving on, it's nice having a magazine programme actually. Moving on, I'm, I'm now delighted to be able to say that um, some of you might know from my biography that I am chair of uh, the Thameside Safeguarding Children Board, Thameside being um, a metropolitan area within the uh, Greater Manchester area. But now I've also been appointed to chair the Children's Safeguarding Board for Bradford. And Bradford, some of you will be aware, uh, certainly those of you 
in the UK. Bradford is about the fifth largest city in England and has an enormous um, population and it's a terrific challenge as far as I'm concerned. It's a very diverse, culturally diverse city, um, but at the same time it's a very vibrant community. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll keep you posted as we go. Well, maybe just sort of one or two final things. I'll play you that that BBC interview. Um, obviously, you heard as I played it with that last item. But any other interviews that I do, I'll also try and share with you because I think that it's quite important for you to see what people are asking about as much as what I'm talking about. So as well as having the usual kind of... Um, array and arcade if you like of fantastic guests i'm also going to now try and bring in much more of this magazine type um, presentation to you and a final thing just for the moment did you notice that british airways plane the one that uh, caught on fire at uh, las vegas now Everybody talked about the fact that the crew behaves in an exemplary manner in terms of um, how they conducted themselves, how they saved people, how they um, initiated the escape procedures and so forth. And very, very luckily at the end of the day, there were some only minor injuries to people. But much of that happened by people trying to take their heavy luggage that they'd taken on inside the plane with them. And to me, that spoke volumes. I mean, it, the question must be asked, I mean, wasn't their life worth more than their possessions? And the answer seemed to have been, no, I wouldn't have had a life worth living if I didn't have my smartphone and my luggage and my personal possessions. So essentially they felt they had to take them even though they were probably doubling, if not trebling, the chances that they might be killed or seriously injured. They just desperately had to have these possessions. And to me that summed up so much about society today, not just the consumer society, but the way that people look at human life and the way that people look at their lives and what actually defines it. So many people now seem to be defined by possession rather than just the quality of what's inside their head and what they can do for other people. So there was a salutary lesson as far as I was concerned there. Anyway, for now, I will leave you. And I'm so pleased that we're back on track again after a summer break and really look forward to your company, hopefully on a regular basis, as we go through the next year. Now, thanks as always to Alba Digital Media for helping me produce this podcast. It's really terrific. You can listen to it on iTunes. You can listen to it on uh, speaker. You can listen to it um, in different ways. Download it from the website if you like, or just listen to it on the website, which is www.socialworldpodcast.com. On Twitter, it's at Dave Niven. Straightforward. Let me know. 
We've got SpeakPipe, that um, voice activated facility with just one click on the website there. You'll see it beside the podcast itself where you just click on record a message for me. And um, if it's in my gift, I'll try and respond and maybe even play it on, an, on the next podcast. Give me some ideas. This has got to be much more of a consumer involving involving program as well. So I'm pleased to be back. I'm pleased that you're with me and look forward to the next time. Thank you.